What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. Today, we are going to get very controversial. It's kind of funny that this is even considered a controversy, but it is. Somehow, we're still here after years of science disproving this great myth that I'm about to share. It doesn't matter. We're still here. And I'm talking about carbohydrates. The buzzword, carbs. Carbs make you fat, don't they? They make you bloated. They cause inflammation. They're bad for you. Okay. <laughs> Let's just get this out of the way. We're going to put this myth to bed. We're going to dig deep into all things carbs. We're going we're gonna to attack this from basically every angle. Because right now, the carbs are bad for you crowd. And, and not even necessarily, I really want to make this clear. It's not simply the carbs are bad for you crowd, but it's also people who make blanket statements like, oh, it's better to be fat adapted or carbs cause inflammation. Carbs make me bloated. No, they don't. <laughs> Let's, we're going to attack this. We're going to knock all of these things down. It's like you have all of these legs to stand on. We're just going to be chopping off legs today. It's a little, little morose, but that's what we're doing. We're going to knock it over one by one. We're knocking out the legs, not like actual legs. Let's like legs on a chair. We're going to just knock out these legs. So the chair falls down and you have no more argument when it comes to carbohydrates because carbs are beautiful and they are helpful and, and comforting. And they have, they play several different roles in a healthy nutrition plan with your metabolism, with your sense of well-being, with your mindset, mental well-being. Carbs are a beautiful thing. So if you end up listening to this episode and you're like, you know what? I learned something new about carbs today and I have more ammo to bring to the table. And next time some jackass wants to tell me to avoid carbs or some asshole wants to tell me that carbs are bad for me or that carbs inherently cause inflammation and bloating, you're like, because I listened to Mind Over Macros, I know my shit and I can win this argument, although it's not about winning or losing, it's about being helpful and useful, but now I can assist, I can be helpful to another human because of this show. If that happens to you, I would love to know about it. You can send me a message on Instagram and share your experience and any takeaways that you had from the show, you can hit me up at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. And of course, if you leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, you immediately become my best friend. And if you take a screenshot of the episode and post it to your stories and tag me on Instagram, it's very helpful because then I know who's listening. And plus, other people will be more aware of the show and the fact that you enjoy it. So... Those are all the ways to help. All right, we're, we're going to literally break this down one by one. We have to have a common understanding, a mutual understanding about metabolism in general before we start to dive into the specifics around carbs. And by the way, I've done episodes in the past about carbs because for some reason, like I said, this topic has been discussed ad nauseum and yet we're still here. I made a post the other day about the benefits of carbs and the harm that can be done when you do a low carb or no carb diet. And all of these people start coming out of the woodworks. And it makes me realize 
that we still have a long way to go with proper education, with helping people, right? Being helpful and useful, not just being right, but being helpful, helping people understand that carbs are not inherently bad. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there about the, the role that carbs play in a healthy metabolism and a healthy nutrition plan. So I've done episodes in the past, but we're still here. Um, I think the last one I did was called All About Carbs. I'm not sure about the title. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on this one. And uh, we're just going to tackle this one by one. So understanding metabolism as a whole, your body runs on two fuel sources, not three, despite what, what some people might tell you. It's two fuel sources, carbs or fats. That's it. Yes, your body can use protein for energy. It's very inefficient. The way that that happens is if you are not able to tap into carbohydrates or fats for fuel, your body can convert protein to carbohydrates to use as fuel, but it's not actually running on protein. So that is one thing that we must understand. There's two fuel two. I really can't speak today. <laughs> not the best for a podcast. <laughs> there are two preferred fuel sources that your body runs on at all times. And it's not like you turn one on and one off. They're both happening simultaneously at all times. Now, the ratio is where we get into things like you're more fat adapted versus carb adapted. So there's ways to test this, but effectively, it doesn't really matter. The, the idea is that we want to be able to use both effectively, and we want to be able to use the right fuel source at the right time, depending on the activity. If there is a high stress, high intensity situation, like strength training or doing a high intensity workout or running for insane amounts of miles, you want to be able to use more carbs as fuel. When you are doing low intensity activities like walking or just hanging around and doing stuff around the house, you want to be able to use fat as fuel. So the first misconception is that there is a, an advantage to being quote unquote fat adapted. I had somebody met, you know, message me and say, oh, I have this client and she does really well on fats and very low carb. Is that because she's fat adapted? And in this whole concept of being fat adapted or using more fat as fuel is really misleading because oftentimes when we hear that, we associate it with losing more body fat, but that's not the case. So again, getting back to how your metabolism works, you have these two fuel sources that you're using at all times. So if somebody's fat adapted, they might be using 90, 95, 99%, and, and that's extreme, but we're just using hypotheticals here. They might be using a large percentage of fuel coming from fats versus carbs. Okay. So then that person would be considered fat adapted. Does that mean that they're losing more body fat? Absolutely not. Because the way that your metabolism works, you are always mobilizing and burning energy. And you are also storing that energy. Okay, so if you are quote unquote fat adapted, you might be using more fat as fuel. But because you're consuming more fat, calories, you're also storing more fat. 
right? And the, and the um, body fat loss happens as a result of the balance that occurs between how much you're burning and how much you're storing. If you are burning more than you're consuming and storing, then you're going to lose body fat. And that doesn't, it, it makes no difference whether that's coming in the form of carbs or fats or some combination thereof. It does not fucking matter. Okay. So if you are burning more fat as fuel, but you're storing more fat than you're burning, you will gain body fat. And guess what? It's easier to store fat as fat than it is to store carbs as fat because fat is already fat. There is no conversion that needs to happen. If you are consuming more carbs, you can still obviously store them as body fat, but they have to be converted from carbs to fats before it's stored as body fat. That should be common sense. And that conversion process actually requires energy to happen. So you're using calories and energy to convert carbs to fat to then store them as body fat. Now, this burning and storing process literally happens all day, every day. It's not like your body hits the 24-hour the mark and then it does this calculation and it's like, okay, um, you know, how much did we burn today? How much did we store today? Okay, now we're going to come up with this neat little formula and give you an answer. No, it is literally happening, happening on a micro level all day, every day, every second of every day. Burning, storing, burning, storing, all of this is happening all day, every day in the form of carbs and fats as your two preferred energy sources. Understand that about your metabolism because that will help you dispel the myth that being fat adapted is somehow advantageous to losing body fat. It's not. You can be somebody who's burning mostly carbs, like your body, your metabolism is running mostly on carbs. Let's say we go to the other end of the extreme. We say you're 90% using carbs over fats. Um, again, that's not great for metabolic flexibility, but it, it's okay. We can use that as an example. And just, you know, again, metabolic flexibility is using the proper fuel source at the proper time. So if you're only using fats the majority of the time, like 90, 95% of the time, you're running mostly on fats, um, that's not metabolically flexible. Similarly, if you're only using carbs 90, 95% of the time as fuel, that's not metabolically flexible. We want both. Now, if even in the example where somebody is mostly carb dominant in their energy source, their fuel source, they're burning mostly carbs. If you burn more than you store, you will still lose body fat because when there's not enough energy coming in, but you still are burning energy, your body taps in to stored energy, right? And that stored energy can be in the form of body fat. So it will mobilize stored body fat. You'll have your free fatty acids circulating through the blood, and then you will breathe it out as CO2. That is where body fat loss occurs, typically through your breath. A very small amount leaves your body through piss and shit and, <laughs> and all those fun things and sweat. Very, very small amount. Um, most of it is through your breath. So that's how it happens. Um, okay, so we can put, put to bed the whole idea of being fat adapted. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you don't feel better. Like individuals might feel better on higher fats than carbs. That's okay to say. But 
we can't act like it's just, oh, there's this amazing advantage to being fat adapted because you're using more fat as fuel. It sounds great, but it's misleading. I, my belief is that this whole carbs are bad for you idea, like it is the most brilliant marketing strategy that has ever been implemented in the nutrition space, literally, because you get, you, you need a villain, right? Humans. If you, if you've ever done any psychology research, you may have heard of Cartman's triangle. Cartman's triangle is where our brains typically work with these three, uh, ideas, I guess we can call them. Uh, this is not the best explanation, but you'll understand when I explain it fully. There's always a victim, there's always a villain, and there's always a rescuer, at least in our brains. That's how we conceptualize situations. And we like put things into place mentally. It's like, okay, there's a villain, there's a rescuer, there's a victim. A lot of times we assume the role of the victim. And then we like to point fingers, right? So Carbs make me fat. That is you assuming the role of the victim. Carbs don't do anything, right? Like if you say cookies make me fat, okay? Now, first of all, cookies are fats and carbs, okay? So more calories in the form of fats than carbs. But anyway, cookies make me fat. You're the victim, okay? Because cookies actually don't. Cookies just sit on a shelf. They don't actually do anything. They just sit there. You have to pick them up and put them in your mouth. But saying cookies make me fat. Now you're assuming the role of the victim. Now you need a villain. Okay. So the villain is the cookies. The cookies did this to me. Right. So the, the whole marketing strategy is brilliant because carbs are bad for you. Carbs make you fat. Now the carb is the villain. You are the victim. You're like, holy shit, I eat carbs. I had no idea that carbs made me fat. I'm I'm the victim. It's carbs. Carbs are the villain. And then the rescuer is Dr. Dumbfuck who comes in and is like, I'm going to explain why insulin is so bad for you and why carbs increase insulin and you should never eat carbs and be fat adapted and live happily every ever after. And you're like, there's my rescuer. And it's, it's a psychological trigger in the form of mental manipulation. It's the most brilliant marketing strategy that has ever been created in the fitness and nutrition space in my opinion, because it assumes that you're the victim, it gives you a villain to point your finger at, and then any jackass with a platform can start preaching about how carbs are bad for you and make up all this, all these lies about carbs, and then that's the rescuer, and you're like, please, save me, save me from these evil carbs. Okay, so let's put that to bed right now. Again, I'm not saying that at, on an individual level, that you can't feel better on more fat than carbs. I'm just saying that we can't make these blanket statements like being fat adapted is so beneficial and carbs are bad and you should be, you know, using fat as fuel and all of that shit. Okay. So there's one leg that we just knock out. If you ever hear somebody talking about the advantages of being fat adapted or using fat as fuel or burning more fat because you're fat adapted, whatever they, however they try to spin it. They're full of shit. Okay, moving on. Uh, let's talk about carbs for performance because this is another area that I think gets overlooked. If we know that carbs are the preferred fuel source for higher intensity activities, it means that we should base our carb intake in large part to 
number one, your activity levels. Number two, the type of training that you do. And the third thing that I'll throw in there is your personality type, because there is a connection between the amount of carbs and the types of carbs that you eat and your neurotransmitter balance, which is where the personality type comes into play. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now because that could be an entire episode in and of itself. Uh, but those are three uh, specific considerations when it comes to carbs. Carbs for performance, if you are more active in your day-to-day -day life, you will need to consume more carbs. If you do more high-intensity training, if you lift heavy shit, you will need more carbs in your day-to-day -day life. The reason for that is because that is your body's preferred energy source for those types of activities. Not only that, but it helps with building muscle because carbs are protein sparing. Um, it also helps to fill the muscles uh, with, with intramuscular, um, you know, getting muscles, glucose into the muscles. I, I'm really having a hard time speaking today. Um, I'm, lack of sleep has been an issue for me over the past couple of weeks and it is rearing its ugly head right now in my inability to form complete sentences. Anyway, um, when it comes to building muscle, carbs are important. Also to get the most out of your training. So actually having the energy to pull from, if you think about when you are training, it is a stressor, okay? Your body releases cortisol. Cortisol's role is to mobilize stored energy. So you're so cortisol is going to signal that stored glucose in the liver and the muscles and in you know all in in all the cells that we're pulling glucose from, um, we are going to get that into the bloodstream as usable energy. Okay, and then your body is also going to do the same thing with stored body fat in the form of mobilizing free fatty acids. Uh, this is the process of mobilizing stored energy. But again, if we're doing high intensity training, if we're lifting heavy weights, if we're trying to build muscle, we want to tap into that preferred fuel source in that scenario, which is carbohydrate. So it's going to help you perform better. We need to have, if, if you're very low on carb, like you're eating a low carb diet and you want to perform at a high level, you want to lift heavy weights, you want to consistently do high intensity training, but you don't have a lot of stored glucose, then what's going to happen? You're only going to be tapping into fat, which is inefficient as a fuel source for high intensity activities. Okay. So there's something to keep in mind. If you're noticing that your performance is down, if you're like a CrossFit athlete, or even if you're a bodybuilder, do any form of strength training, resistance training, high intensity workouts, uh, if you do HIIT training, things like that, boxing, all of that stuff where there's a high fuel demand. If you're feeling like crap, you might want to take a look at your carb intake and see if you might, you know, might want to consider increasing the amount of carbs you're getting in uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, especially around your performance and your training. Now there's the other side of that, which is on the back end, we have recovery and recovering from training is a big deal. Training is a stress. We don't want to be stressed out too much. We have an intentional imposed stress on the system. And then once we're done training, we want to shut that down. We want to go into rest and digest mode. Okay. So what's the most effective way to do that? Carbs. Why? 
because insulin is the shutoff valve for cortisol. Carbs increase insulin levels. Carbs also increase serotonin. Serotonin calms the brain down. A lot of times with high intensity workouts, if you're trying to PR, if you're trying to lift heavy weight, your nervous system is amplified, highly activated. There's a lot of neuronal activity, meaning your brain is communicating very fast. Serotonin calms that down and slows that down. You also have cortisol going. Again, cortisol mobilizing stored energy to get you ready for that stressful event. Well, once you finish working out, your body doesn't know that you're done working out. So we want to send the signal in the form of getting in some protein and carbs post-workout to shut down the stress response from training. So once we get that carb and protein post-workout shake or meal or whatever it is, once insulin is released, you shut down that cortisol response, you go into rest and digest mode, uh, and hopefully you have enough recovery throughout your day and your week to actually see the adaptation occur from strength training, which would be getting stronger, building muscle, or even losing body fat, which obviously will be mostly um, driven by your nutrition. But again, if you're in a calorie deficit, if you're trying to lose body fat, but you are under too much stress, you might find yourself not making progress because you're under too much stress. Again, if you're eating low carb and you're not performing well, and you're not recovering well, and you're not sleeping well, you are making fat loss more difficult. You are making any body change more difficult because you're adding stress to an already stressed out system. Carbohydrates for sleep. Sleep is one of the most important things, period, the end. Like I don't even need to elaborate on that. Sleep is one of the most important things that we can do for our health and wellness. Carbs increase serotonin. Carbs shut down cortisol. So doesn't it make sense that when we want serotonin to be high in the evening, then we want cortisol to be low in the evening that we include some carbohydrates with our last meal of the day or as a pre-bedtime snack. It makes sense. Logically, we're trying to prime our brain and our bodies to get quality sleep. If cortisol is high, if serotonin is low, we're going to have a more difficult time sleeping. Anxiety will be higher, racing thoughts, um, not staying asleep through the night, Carbs can be an easy way to help with that. Now, there may be some other lifestyle variables going on, and we have to assess your wind down routine and all these different things. But let's just look at an easy lever that we can pull to help with proper sleep and recovery, which is adding carbs post-workout, adding carbs with the last meal of the day or as a pre-bed snack. When you want serotonin to be higher, when you want cortisol to be lower, that's when you can increase the amount of carbs that you're consuming. Um, there is the, you know, the, the whole stress response, the whole cortisol response. Um, we have to understand that cortisol in and of itself is beneficial. Like a lot of people think, oh, because it's a stress hormone, it's a negative thing. Cortisol keeps us alive. We need it. Okay. We need it. It's a good thing. You need it to lose body fat. If we're talking about body composition, remember cortisol is one of cortisol's jobs is to literally mobilize stored energy. That's what body fat is. Body fat is stored energy. So cortisol is not a bad thing. Stress is not a bad thing. It's all about the dose. If you are dealing with chronically elevated cortisol or even not enough cortisol, those are issues. If you're dealing with too much stress or even not enough stress, those are issues. 
We want the right dose at the right time. And carbs are a tool to help manage that. So if you are somebody who is under a lot of stress, it's probably a good idea to incorporate carbs into your plan. Now, this is where everybody is a little bit different because I know I'm going to get questions as to like, well, how much, how many carbs should I be consuming? And it always depends on the person. For some people, when they say low carb, they mean like 25 to 50 grams of carbs. When I say low carb, I mean like 100 to 150 grams of carbs. I think that's low carb. When I say moderate, I think of like 150 to like 200 plus 250. When I say high carb, I'm thinking like anything above like 275, 300. Now we're starting to get into the higher carb range. And I've, I've had numbers as high as like 500 grams of carbs. And, um, you know, that's very high carb, but there's nothing that's inherently right or wrong. It's about the proper prescription for the individual. So again, what like the stress in your life, the activity, your personality, if you're an individual that has low serotonin, you're a little bit higher anxiety, carbs can be a tool to manage that. If you have more stress, carbs can be a tool to manage that. Now for the people that say, well, what about insulin? This is, this is the best one The the insulin theory of obesity has been proven wrong time and time again. And yet people still want to shout this out. Okay. So we've already crushed the fat as fuel, fat adapted whole myth. We've already inserted the importance of carbs for performance, the importance of carbs for recovery and sleep, the importance of carbs for managing stress and cortisol. Now let's talk about insulin. Let's knock this leg out. Okay. Insulin is a storage hormone. So Everyone gets scared of insulin because it's like, well, that's literally storing body fat. Like, okay, no, it, it's storing energy. Just like cortisol is mobilizing energy, insulin is storing it back in the cell. And remember, this mobilization and storage process is happening all day, every day. You can't shut that off. Okay, so it has to happen. And the key is in the dose, right? And in, in what's happening as a whole in the system as a whole, insulin is actually one of the most anabolic hormones that we produce. Insulin growth factor is the most IGF one insulin growth factor, the most anabolic hormone that we produce, we need it to build muscle. Okay, so yes, too much insulin can be a bad thing. But too much of anything can be a bad thing. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Because people just use a sliver of information and say carbs increase insulin in insulin's the storage hormone therefore carbs cause storage aka body fat gain that is not true carbs do increase insulin like i mentioned which can be a good thing when you're trying to shut off cortisol it can also be a good thing when you're trying to build muscle right however when we incorporate a well-balanced meal with carbs included all of the sudden, that insulin spike is not as significant. More importantly, the blood sugar crash that can happen as a result doesn't happen if it's a well-balanced meal. So for people who are like, well, yeah, you know, white rice increases your blood sugar and then it crashes and that's not good because then you're going to be hungry, right? You know, again, it's, and from a health perspective, having these ups and downs of blood sugar is not really ideal. And that's accurate. However, 
if you're just eating a carbohydrate meal with nothing else, just carbs alone, then yes, you're probably going to have a blood sugar surge and, and drop a spike and a, and a crash, which is not ideal. But what we know from research is that when we incorporate protein with carbs, or even better protein, carbs and fats in the form of a well balanced meal, blood sugar remains stable, which is what we want. So we're still getting the insulin benefit, but we're keeping blood sugars relatively stable. We're not having the big spike. We're not having the big crash. You're going to feel better, feel more satiated. Um, but the reason why I recommend protein and carbs post-workout is because we do want to take advantage of an increase in insulin and to shut off cortisol, to shuttle nutrients into the muscles when they are most likely to absorb them. Post-workout, your muscles are like a sponge. Give them what they need in the form of proper nutrition. Um, shuttle those nutrients into the muscular cells. Take advantage. It's very simple to implement. Um, having carbs post-workout, having carbs before bed. Those are simple ways to use some form of carb timing to optimize uh, your, your body composition progress. But insulin in and of itself does not cause body fat gain. Because even if you have higher levels of insulin and you have those spikes and crashes that are not ideal, well, it's not ideal, if you're still in a calorie deficit, you still can't you can't store body fat. You can't gain body fat. You can store fat into the cell because that's happening all day, every day. But you can't gain body fat if you're in a deficit and you have high levels of insulin, okay? Understand that. Now, do we want to, from a health perspective, manage that? Of course. We want blood sugar stability as part of a healthy lifestyle, which is why we talk about protein at every meal, well-balanced meals, Get your veggies in, get your fiber in, right? All things that will help to stabilize blood sugar. Walk more, lift some weights, right? All of these things we talk about for a reason. Have some form of self-care, journal, meditate, relax, have a wind down routine, right? All of these things to help with blood sugar stability. So let's cross that one off. Another leg chopped off. Insulin does not cause obesity. Insulin in and of itself does not cause body fat gain. Carbs do increase insulin, but most of the time, we're not just eating carbs by themselves. We should incorporate them uh, with other food groups to keep blood sugar stable. Even if you're going to have a little snack, like instead of just, you know, a bowl of white rice, although I don't know anybody who has that as a snack, but maybe throw some protein in there and some olive oil. Or if you're going to have, um, let's say some rice cakes as a snack, maybe incorporate a hard boiled egg or a cheese stick or something along those lines. So you get the protein and fats in there as well. Okay. That's it. Super simple. All right. Let's talk about carbs and bloating. Um, this is another one. When I made my post about carbs, somebody literally was like, well, all carbs make me bloated. And I was like, I highly doubt that's the case. I mean, maybe there's somebody out there where that's the case, but that would shock me because there's, there's no direct link between carbs and inflammation, carbs and bloating. It is person specific and it is food specific. Even if there is a carb source that, that causes bloating and inflammation in you, that doesn't mean that it's exclusive to carbs, okay? Protein 
sources could cause inflammation and bloating. Fat sources can cause inflammation and bloating. There are people that have intolerances to nuts and seeds. There's people that have intolerances to dairy and eggs and egg whites. There are people that have intolerances to everything. It's not exclusive to carbs. So I, I can't stand when people are just like, well, carbs make me bloated. Really? Tell me which carbs. Well, you know, like bread, pasta, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, so what about like jasmine white rice or sweet potatoes or white potatoes or oats? And it's like, well, no, those are fine. Well, then carbs don't make you bloated. A specific carb made you bloated. And I promise you, if I were to look at that person's overall nutrition, most of the time when somebody makes a statement like that, it's like, okay, Susan, like, tell me, tell me more about what you eat. It's like, well, I had seven glasses of wine last night, but then I had a dinner roll and the dinner roll just tore me apart. Like, um, no, the fuck it didn't. It was the seven glasses of wine. You woke up bloated and inflamed because you were drinking like an asshole. I'm sorry. It wasn't the bread. Like bread just makes me so bloated. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But let's look at your entire diet and let's not just villainize carbs because you felt like shit one day after having a slice of bread, but you also ate like an asshole that day. Okay, there are absolutely people that have intolerances to gluten that don't do well with bread that don't do well with pasta. There's probably people out there that don't do well with white rice, even though it's one of the most easily digestible foods there is. There are people out there that have intolerances to everything, but it's not exclusive to carbs. There is no direct link between carbs and inflammation or bloating. Period. The end. The myth is over. Squash it. It's done. All right. I got one more thing to talk about here. <laughs> Hopefully you guys are enjoying this. At least it's entertaining, if nothing else. Hopefully useful. Entertaining and useful. That's the combo that I'm going for. All right. The last thing is the whole junk food idea. And this one pisses me off. Okay. Because I had somebody who commented on the same post and was like, well, there are certainly some carbs that are fine, but most people eat way too many junk carbs like pizza and cookies and whatever the fuck else. And I was like, guess what? The, car the foods that you just named that you labeled as junk carbs are actually higher in calories from fat than they are from carbs. So why aren't they junk fats? Why are they junk carbs? I will never understand that. When people are like, well, I try to stay away from carbs like cookies and cake and ice cream and pizza. Guess what? Those are higher or at least close to, if not higher, in calories from fat than carbs. Look at the fucking label. Look up the nutrition facts. Look up a cookie. Look up pizza. You will likely see the calories from fats. Now, remember, a lot of people get confused because they only look at grams. They're like, oh, well, it only has 10 grams of fat, but it has 40 grams or whatever. Um, you know, it has double that. Let's just use an easy because my math is terrible right now. So like it has 10 grams of fat, but it has double the grams in carbs. So it has 20 grams. So it's twice as many carbs, but actually the calories are higher in fats because you take 10 grams for fats, so you times it by nine, fats being nine calories per gram. So that would be 90 calories, right? So if it's 10 grams of fat, that's 90 calories. 20 grams of carbs, we would times by four because every gram of carb is four calories. 
So that would be 80 calories in the form of carbs. 90 is higher than 80. This is just an example, but how some how people think they're like, well, it's a junk carb because it has more grams of carbs, but it actually has more calories from fat. So those foods, if they're causing you inflammation, if it's causing bloating, if you find yourself overindulging, it's not because they're carbs. It's because they are highly palatable, calorically dense in the form of both carbs and fats, and they are designed and engineered to overconsume. We need to stop labeling, labeling these things as junk carbs and just say that it's junk food, period. It's not junk carbs. It has equal or close to or more calories from fat than carbs. And that is the last thing that we are going to knock out and put to bed. No more carbohydrate myths. No more shit talking carbs. Here's the bottom line. Some people will feel better and perform better and recover better and improve body composition more efficiently on a higher carb plan. Some people will feel better and perform better and progress better with a lower carbohydrate plan. What we need to avoid is the blanket statement. What we need to encourage is finding what works best for you. But we have to stop villainizing and we have to stop taking one little piece of information and extrapolating that out. Like if you noticed that bread made you feel bloated, it's not that you don't handle carbs well, it's that you don't handle bread well. And let's tease out everything because I've, I've been open about this whole experience that I had with my own digestive issues. And I thought that I pinpointed the culprit. And if I was just very close-minded in my approach, I would have just been like, okay, there it is. I found it. It's the sparkling ices with the artificial sweeteners and that's causing issues. But I was open to being wrong. And I was, even though I felt a little bit better temporarily, the digestive issues came back. And normally I am somebody that handles whey protein very well in my life. I have never had an issue I've always been somebody that handles whey protein very well. So rather than just assuming that this is the case forever, I was open enough to be like, you know what? I should try to remove whey and see how I feel. And that was the thing that made the biggest difference. Once I got whey protein out of my diet, my digestive issues cleared up and I felt a million times better. My hope is that as I continue on this path, I can reintroduce it because I know that at one point in time, I was totally fine. I'm hoping I can reintroduce it. I tried it a little bit recently, didn't go well. So I removed it again and we're back to the drawing board. But don't just generalize because one carbohydrate, like I'm not over here saying all protein makes me bloated. All protein gives me digestive issues. No, it was specifically whey protein powder. All right. So I removed whey. And I'm eating my protein from beef protein, chicken, turkey, fish, um, you know, basic shit that I always eat that I talk about all the time. I keep it very simple. So grass-fed beef, wild-caught salmon, um, tuna, shrimp. I'll do chicken breast, turkey fillets, things like that. Very basic. That's it. There's nothing more to it. Um, it's not that proteins make me bloated. It's a specific food. So don't just extrapolate and say all carbs give you inflammation, all carbs make you bloated. No, there might be a specific carb or one or two, but there's also, it could be that there's protein sources that don't sit well, there are fat sources that don't sit well. And that is the bottom line.
All right. If you are struggling, by the way, and you don't understand how to put these pieces together, get some help. Invest in coaching. Like if you're struggling to find the proper macro ratios or the right approach for you, or the right lifestyle approach, and you're struggling with your mindset and you're frustrated, like stop choosing that problem. You can solve that problem whenever you want. Just reach out, get some help. Um, if you're interested in seeing if our coaching is the right fit for you, you can go to neurotypetraining.com. Check out our website. You can learn more about one-on-one -on -one coaching. You can fill out an application just to see if it's a good fit. The one thing that we will always do is point you in the right direction. We'll tell you if we can't help. We'll tell you if we're not the right program for you. And we will point you in the right direction of what we think may be a better fit for you. Otherwise, if it's a good fit, if you want to solve the problem that you're dealing with, if you want to achieve the body composition goals that you desire, our program is the best way to do that. It's consistently producing results efficiently, permanently. We even guarantee it. You don't pay anything if you don't achieve your goals. It's a pretty straightforward um, way of doing things to last a lifetime. That's what we're all about. If that's something that you want to pursue, just go to neurotypetraining.com and check it out. See for yourself. And I will talk to you guys very soon.